Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning to read at verse 16. I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition, we are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honour to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift not as one grudgingly given. Good morning, everyone. It's very good to see you. Godfrey, thank you for reading for us. Do keep your Bibles open at that uh, reading 1163 in the Pew Bibles. And you might find it helpful to grab a copy of the sermon outline. There's one stuffed into your little bundle on the way in. It'll give you a sense of where we're going in the next few moments. Let's pray together as we turn to God's word. Father, as we come to this matter of money, an issue that is so close to our hearts, we do pray for your help. We ask that you would so shape us by your grace revealed in the gospel that our hearts would have a right relationship towards money. And we pray that you would help us to think through very practically how we can graciously use our money to bless others. And we pray this 
for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in March of this year, a leader who was involved in a church about two hours' drive from here was convicted of a number of serious financial misdemeanors. He had been overstating to the government how much gift aid was coming into the church, and he was claiming back far too much, more than he should have done, into the church current account. He was then writing himself a check from the current account into his own account to a tune of around 150,000 pounds, and he went to jail for four years. Then in April this year, a, a different church in Houston, Texas, arrived on the Sunday morning to the news that their lead pastor had just been arrested, accused of serious fraud to the tune of $3.5 million. I take it that case is still ongoing. I mentioned just two stories this morning. I could mention many more. There's a a well-respected seminary in the U.S., Gordon Conwell, that has done some research into the widespread um, mismanagement of of money in um, the global church. And it's very hard to be precise on these kinds of numbers, but their best sense falling on from their investigation is that when, when you look at the global church as a whole, and you think of all the money that is given and donated to the work of the gospel across the world, more money is lost and wasted through fraud and mismanagement than ever ends up at the front line supporting missionaries around the world. That's their best assessment of what's happening in the world. I'm sure we can all think of politicians or business leaders who've been caught on the wrong side of how they've used money. Maybe it's through some expense claim scandal or fraud at work. But the reality is that problems with money are not just problems out there in the world around us. They, they seep into God's people, into the church, and is an ever-present danger for us. You might think, well, that's a very cheery way to start a sermon on money. And you might think, well, my goodness, if, if it's that bad, how could I ever give any of my hard-earned cash to any church work? If it's that widespread, the problem, well, fear not, because Paul writes 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 to help us with this very issue, to be able to know how to give with confidence to the right kinds of people in the right kinds of way. You know that we're in the middle of a series looking at uh, 2 Corinthians we've been seeing that the relationship between Paul, the apostle, and this church in Corinth has been under great strain. They were in danger of pulling away from Paul. They were embarrassed because of him, and he was challenging them over sin, and they wondered if it was worth sticking with him. But the news is good, because Titus has gone to Corinth with a severe letter from Paul. They've heard the letter. They've repented. They've come back to Paul. They're now on board again. They've accepted God's grace to them in Christ. They've been forgiven of their sins. Last week, we saw that Paul wrote to say, well, to be in the grip of God's grace means not just having your sins forgiven, but it means starting to view other people graciously, starting to allow God's grace to us in Christ to transform how we give to other Christians graciously. There's one particular need. There's a church in Jerusalem. Uh, they are facing a terrible famine. They are hard up against it. And so Paul has been traveling around the Mediterranean trying to raise financial support that he can collect and then send back to Jerusalem to support the brothers in Christ who are in great need. And he wants the Corinthians to respond willingly, eagerly, graciously to this particular need of the Christians in Jerusalem. 
And so last week we saw how God's grace to us produces more grace as we love other people with our money. But this week we see that the kind of eager willingness that Paul longs to be at work in the family of Christ towards one another, it's, yes, eager and willing, but it's not unthoughtful or, or careless giving. And so this morning, as Paul continues to teach about money, he moves from the right motivation to our giving onto practical wisdom and, and um, insight into how we should actually give in practice. Who should we give to and, and how much should we give? And I think these words will be a great help to us as we are aware of the reality of the danger of money within the wider church. So you'll see in the handout, our first point is this. Paul would say to us, be careful about who we entrust our money to. Look at verse 16. He writes, I thank God who put it into the heart of Titus, that the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with great, much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. I've mentioned Titus already. He's the guy who had to deliver Paul's severe letter to the Corinthians. He has then come back from Corinth with their response. It's, it's good news. The Corinthians have repented. And now Paul is sending him back to Corinth with this letter, two Corinthians in his hands, to give to the Corinthians to talk about money. And so you can imagine the Corinthians opening up the letter that Paul's written to Corinthians and they're starting to read it. And there is Titus standing there looking a little bit awkward as they read the letter. And uh, they get to this bit and go, ah, Titus, great, welcome back. It's good to have you here. And, and Paul is writing to say to the Corinthians, you can trust this guy. He's the kind of guy you can entrust with your money. When he comes to ask about this collection, here are some reasons why it is right to give your money to him as he sends it back to Jerusalem. And Paul goes on to show us why that is the case. And the first thing he says about Titus, he talks about the concern Titus has for the Corinthians. It's an earnest concern. The word in verse 16 for concern there is a word we've met already in 2 Corinthians. So back in chapter 7, verse 12, it was a word that Paul used to describe the newly found devotion the Corinthians had for Paul after their repentance it was a word in chapter 8, verse 8, that Paul used to say, Corinthians, I'm, I'm glad you're back, but I'm now going to test the sincerity of your love based on this benchmark. And that word bench for the, um, the benchmark he's using is this concern word. And here we find that Titus is a man who has this right kind of gospel concern. This, this word is, is more than just he's thought about them. It, it means that he, he has a kind of gospel um, love for them, a, a real concern for their welfare. There's a partnership going on between Titus and the Corinthians. Of course, not everyone in Corinth had this kind of deep concern for the Christians there. You'll know about the super apostles in and around Corinth. We know from elsewhere in Paul's letter that these were the kinds of people who preached for a prophet, you can imagine him saying to the Corinthians, well, you know, we, we love being around you, but it, it is expensive work, you know. The hotel bills and the travel expenses and the royalties. And uh, we love to keep going, but frankly, it's going to cost you a lot more. Please, please keep the money coming in. And that kind of appeal for money is not born out of love. And in contrast to the super apostles, Paul says, look at Titus. He loves you. He has a deep gospel concern for your welfare. You can see how much 
Titus loves the Corinthians, by his travel plans. He's gone back and forth now at least twice between Macedonia and, and Corinth. And as he travels, don't think cruise liners and sun loungers basking on a deck. Think small wooden sailboats and high seas. We know that Paul himself was shipwrecked a number of times traveling around the Mediterranean. And for Titus to embark on a journey again, it wasn't a small thing. It wasn't an easy thing. It was a major undertaking, a serious risk to his life. And yet he was willing, he was enthusiastic even to go back to the Corinthians because he loved them. This earnest concern for their welfare. He, he knew that it was in their best interest to be in the grip of grace. To work out God's grace to them in practice by giving graciously to others. And so here he is back in Corinth. Entrust our money to people who have earnest concerns for others. Next, Paul would say, look for those who are involved in gospel service. Look at verse 18. And we are sending along with Titus, the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. We don't know who this brother is, Paul doesn't say, but he was clearly well known by lots of churches in Paul's day. He was well known for his gospel service he was the kind of man you'd mention, oh yeah, I know who he is. Yeah, of course, I heard a sermon of his a while ago. Yeah, oh yeah, great, great gospel servant. It's a, I think Paul's striking a delicate balance here. He, he wants to show the Corinthians that this brother is a, is a man of, of good repute amongst the churches, known for his gospel service. And yet, he's still just a servant. You see? Yes, very famous. Yes, very well known. Perhaps even a kind of Christian celebrity, but just a servant, an unnamed servant, perhaps even. But you see Paul's point here. Here is a brother who's coming, and he's known for, for gospel service. Over the years here at Fullwood, a number of our trainees have gone on to further training and education at Bible College. It's a great joy to see that happen. Often that next step is an expensive one as they raise funds for further study and they've had to go around to ask for people to be involved supporting them not just in prayer but also financially and as they've been sending out requests and letters it's not unusual for us as a staff team at church leaders to to be asked by potential partners if it's right to give money to support this new student they want to hear from the church leaders that this candidate for bible college is the real deal worth um giving money to you see and it's a real joy, it's absolutely right, that um, potential partners check if it's the right way to spend money by asking the previous church leader if, if the sending person is, is for real. And I think that kind of checking is what's going on here in 2 Corinthians 8. There is someone who is of good standing in gospel ministry, a church leader, and he's coming along to watch Titus oversee the collection and the return of the money to Jerusalem. Um, and he's someone who's known for his gospel service. It's a really healthy pattern Paul is showing us here. I guess one question for us, as we think about um, opportunities that might come our way to, to give money to other Christians, as we think about entrusting our money to, to a Christian cause, is there a leader involved in the overseeing of that money who is known for their gospel service? A really helpful question to ask, I think, flowing out of 2 Corinthians 8. Next, Paul talks about accountability. 
Look at verse 19. What is more, this brother was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. So this brother has been handpicked, not just because he's known for his gospel service, but also he's been asked to be an observer to report back to the churches that indeed this gift has made it safely from Corinth back to Jerusalem. And I think the principle here is one of accountability to the wider church network. One of the uh, remarkable things about the, the life and ministry of the late Billy Graham was how he managed to avoid scandal throughout his life in all kinds of areas, but including in the area of money and finance. No one was able to accuse him successfully of, of misdemeanors in this regard. And one of the, the keys to his in, integrity as a, as a minister, a church preacher, was that uh, many people in response to his preaching wanted to give money to support his ministry, but he refused to accept those gifts personally. Instead, he had created a, a trust that was managed by separate trustees. He had no say in how that money was managed. And if people wanted to give, they gave to the trust, not to the person. Billy Graham himself did draw a salary out of the trust, but his salary was established by the trustees, and it was publicly known. He couldn't decide it. And um, he was separate, you see, from the giving of the money, a, a healthy buffer. And there was an, an, an accountability. The trustees were there to monitor and watch over how the money was spent and used. And it wasn't just that he was doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was doing what was right in the eyes of people watching. His accountability was visible so that others could be assured that what he was doing was above board. Our own mission committee here at Forward uh, oversee a, a large budget of around £150,000 that comes out of the general church budget here that we have set aside to give to our mission partners who serve the Lord around the world. And it's absolutely right that we as a church family commit to that kind of giving. But we do delegate to the mission committee that responsibility of overseeing and managing that £150,000. But it's also right that that mission committee reports back to the church council, the PCC, so that we can check where the money is going, that it's been correctly allocated, and that it's uh, true to our aims here at Forward. But then more than that, it's right that the church council, the PCC, we're accountable to all of you. It's right that we have an independent auditor who comes in every year and checks our books. It's right that at our church um, general meeting in April every year, we present to everyone who wants to come the state of our budget and our finances for others to view and scrutinize and check. We're not doing it to show off or to say, look how good we are, but to build confidence, you see, and to be accountable to those who want to come and check. We want to do what is right before the Lord, but to be seen to be doing what is right in front of people as well. Accountability, that is a crucial part of how we entrust our money to other people. Next, entrust our money to people who are tested. Look at verse 22. In addition, we are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. 
So here's a third member of the group. We've had Titus, then the first brother who's known for his gospel service, now a, a, a third member, a second brother. And it's clear this second brother, he's not a recent convert. Paul is able to say that he's been tested in gospel ministry. In fact, his, his zeal, his love, his affection has been tested. He is someone who loves the Lord and loves other Christians. And Paul has been able to see firsthand through all the highs and lows of gospel ministry that this second brother, he's the real deal. He really does love because of the gospel. And because Paul has tested this brother and knows that he's the real deal, he's able to send him with Titus and the first brother as part of this group, and his hands are safe. I think it means that we would be unwise here at Forward to put a recent convert in charge of the church finances, no matter how well qualified they are professionally. It's right that we pick a finance team and a committee who... Who, who love the Lord, who have zeal for other Christians, and that has been tested and is clear to the wider church. And I guess as we're thinking about our own giving of our money to Christian work, whether it's local or national, international, another question to be asking ourselves is, is there someone else involved in the oversight of that money who is not a young or new Christian? It may be that we're given to support our young and new Christian, but is there someone involved in the oversight of the money who's not in that position, who's tested, who's known, who's proven their zeal and love for the Lord and his people? That seems to be a crucial principle that Paul is uh, writing to us about. Finally, entrust our money to people who are an honor to Christ. Look at verse 23. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the church and in honor to Christ. I take it that this means these three men are living lives of integrity. Their behavior in general, their conduct, their their speech, their priorities in life are all about honoring Christ, bringing glory to Christ. They're not in it for themselves or their comfort or self-promotion. And why would we expect people to honor Christ with the money we entrust to them if they are not seeking to honor Christ with the rest of their lives? I think Paul's very aware of the danger that comes with money. He can see the super apostles in Corinth. He knows that Corinthians will be rightly worried about whether their gift will reach it to Jerusalem. Absolutely right to be aware of that concern. And so these words are so helpful for us this morning. Paul is showing us the the kinds of people we should entrust our money to. These kinds of people. And when we see them, and when we find them, we can have great confidence in giving money to the causes they oversee and look after. And that is why Paul continues. Look at verse 24. He says, Therefore show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. Paul's been showing the Corinthians, look, these three men, they're the real deal. You can trust them with your money. But having shown you why you can trust them, Corinthians, let me ask you, will you you now prove yourselves to us? They've been proven, but, but will you prove yourself to us? Will you now give 
the money you've pledged to give. That's the point in verse 23 and 24. And, and then that's what Paul continues to think about in the start of chapter 9. And that's our second point. I think Paul would say to us, be thoughtful about how much we give. Because there is another reason why Paul is sending these three brothers to the Corinthians. It's not just that they are reliable men who are well-placed to oversee this gift as it goes back to Jerusalem. It's also that they have come to help the Corinthians finish off their good intentions towards actually giving the money. <laughs> um, Paul is striking a rather delicate balance in these verses. On, on one hand, he is absolutely confident that the Corinthians will give a gift to support Jerusalem. In fact, he's so confident, verse 2, that he's been boasting about their giving to the Macedonians. It seems this wasn't an empty boasting. The Corinthians really did want to give in response to God's grace. But that was perhaps a year ago or so, and in the intervening time, things had become strained between Paul and the Corinthians. They were thinking about abandoning him. That's been dealt with. They're now back on side, and Paul is saying... The, the good intentions of last year, now that things are better, let's, let's get back to that conversation. Let's make sure that you follow through with your good intentions and actually give in response to God's grace. And these brothers, Titus and his two friends, they've come to help you think that through. And so verse three. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. Or verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. You can see what Paul is worried about, can't you? Um, if he just turned up out of the blue, unexpected. He's worried, particularly so if the Macedonians came with him that they'd find the Corinthians just, oh, right, yes, that gift, I, for, I forgot about that gift. I, I'm, um, I'm not quite ready yet. You know, give me a bit of time. Paul can see it coming. And so that's part of why he's sending Titus and the two brothers first, to give them time to prepare. And that is why I think we're seeing the need to be thoughtful about how much we give. I guess many of us don't spend very much time thinking about how much we give. We make a quick decision, a yes or a no, a, a gut instinct about how much. But a quick decision doesn't give us time to prepare, to really think it through. I think part of preparation is working out if we should entrust people with our money. We've seen how widespread the misuse of money can be in the church, and so I think we are obliged to check before we give, to do the kind of things that Paul is saying here. Look at the people you're thinking about giving your money to. Are they going to be trustworthy people? And that can take time, time to come perhaps at that Easter meeting and listen to the budget here forward, think through where the money is going, check that we are actually um, overseeing your money well. Uh, maybe it means um, checking that mission agency or the mission partner we have in mind, making sure that what they're doing with their money is right, it can take time to prepare that way. And Paul would have us be ready to put that kind of work into our giving. I think part of the preparation that Paul has in mind is about cultivating the right attitude. Paul wants us to give 
generously, not grudgingly. Uh, Most of us are not born with a generous spirit. A generous spirit is a, a spirit that is nurtured and watered at the foot of the cross. Remember back to last week how Paul said, come and, come and look with me at, at the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich in heaven with everything in the world, he became poor, taking on flesh to die on a cross, a place of utter shame and agony. Look at what he's paid for you that you might become rich. And when you've looked at that grace, come and, come and be gracious in response to other people. But um, if you're making bread and you take yeast and water and flour and mix it together, the yeast doesn't work straight away. You don't get instant um, rise to your, your dough. You have to wait for the yeast to ferment and do its work. And I think that's the sense here that Paul is saying to the Corinthians, I know it'll take time for you to prepare your hearts to get from a place of potential kind of grumbling to a place of real generosity grace takes time to ferment in our hearts as we think much of the cross and think about our own hearts and position and so he gives them time to prepare a generous spirit and finally I think part of this preparation is about thinking through how much we can give I know some of us here this morning are actually brilliant at um, budgeting and our own personal accounts, and uh, we've got a handle on things. We know where our money goes. We've thought about why it goes where it goes, and we know how much we can set aside to give graciously. And if that is part of what you do as a Christian, and you're prepared that way, can I say thank you and, and keep going? It's worth it. Paul would say, if you haven't reviewed your giving for a while, then part of the application is to go back and review it again. Be prepared and go on being prepared in your giving. But there will be others here today. I'm not looking at anyone. I have no idea who gives what here at Forward. But there'll be others, I guess, who are a little bit less organized when it comes to our, our budgets. And if we were to look at our bank statements, we wouldn't actually quite know where our money goes month by month. It does go, but we're not quite sure where and, and why. And I guess part of the preparing here is to get a handle on where our money is going, to maybe take time to take stock of our bank statements and to think, did I realize I was spending that much money in that area? Is that... Is that the right area to be spending it in? Or, or should I reduce it in order to be gracious towards other people? It, it, it does take a bit of time to think through those sort of questions. And I think that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. I want you to be prepared. Imagine if Paul were to arrive in Corinth and he found them not ready to give. I, I guess some of them might say, Oh, Paul, I'm so sorry. You're, you're just a bit too late. I, if only I had known you were coming. You see, I've, I've just... I've just bought a larger house with a bigger mortgage and now the, the monthly repayments are, are really quite steep and so I can just about make it through but I've got nothing left now to give. I'm, I'm locked into a 25-year plan. I, I wish I had known earlier. Or maybe someone was like, well, I've just bought a new car on, on lease hire purchase and um, I didn't realize there was a request for money coming and so I kind of maxed out on the, the best car I could find and now I'm sort of locked into this four-year deal and I, actually, I haven't got any spare cash to give. Maybe it's a mobile phone contract, some gadget we just bought recently. But you can see Paul wants to avoid that scenario. He's sending Titus first to to warn them that a a request is coming. And so 
take the time you need to think through how to organize your accounts so that when the, when the request does come, you have a, a flexibility and an, an ability to be generous. Don't be so locked in to your, your commitments that you can't give. And so I guess as we think about how we spend our money, one thought to have in our minds is this. If I spend my money in this area, does it mean that I won't be able to be generous with my money in the future? It may not happen. Maybe it will. I have no idea. But imagine if our vicar, Paul Williams, were to stand here, I don't know, let's say in six months' time. This is completely fictitious. And he would say, guess what? There's been an amazing door opened for the gospel, let's say 30 or 40 miles away. And um, there's a brilliant opportunity to kind of, I don't know, plant a new church or to bless a Christian work there. And um, the only thing is we've got no funds to make it happen. Would you consider generously giving? I'm not commanding it. I'm not asking you to do it grudgingly or in a way that leaves you destitute. But if you can give generously, could you give? It's fictitious. It may never happen. But I wonder if we're thinking about our money in such a way that if that kind of request were to happen, we would be able to move things around to be generous. It's great to be able to preach through 2 Corinthians as part of a series and to talk about these issues, not because we're kind of trying to do a particular giving day or a vision day asking for your money. I'm not here to ask for your money. Isn't that wonderful? I'm just preaching the Bible. But it's right for us to think about our money and to plan well. As the church council, the PCC, um, come to the end of one financial year and plan for the next one, we'll be setting a budget um, after Christmas. And it looks like we'll be running a deficit in the budget. I'm not here asking for money. I'm just saying that there's a, a very real chance that sometime after Christmas, there will be a need. And if you want to prepare to help that need, then you could start thinking about it. As we finish, here's a question to ponder. Perhaps over um, conversations afterwards, perhaps in our small groups, perhaps around the, the table this afternoon. How much thought do we give to our giving? How much thought do we give to our giving? Paul does want the, the Corinthians and us to give eagerly, willingly, generously, graciously, he's not commanding. He does want us to be careful about who we entrust our money to because money can be a real problem for many people. Let's be thoughtful givers, but also let's be planned givers. Let's pray. Father, it is sobering to see how devastating money can be in the hearts and lives of people in this world, including those who claim the name of Christ and who are in positions of leadership. We do ask that you protect us here at Fullwood from that kind of scandal or, or mishandling of funds. Father, please may it never happen. And Father, please also help us to be a church family who are, who are thoughtful about how we entrust our money eagerly, 
willingly, graciously, but thoughtfully. And Father, please, in a response to the grace that we have in Christ, help us to respond by carefully planning our giving that we might be a generous people, whatever means we, we have from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.